Do we have any worry warts here this morning? If you're sitting beside somebody who just worries all the time, raise your hand. <laughs> See, I'm, I knew if I asked you to raise your hand, if you were a worry wart, you might not do that. But if um, you're sitting next to somebody who is a worry wart, then you might be looking for a cure. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. God's cure for worry warts. Let's stand as we open the Word of God together, beginning with verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6. We're still talking about royalty, noble living in a needy world. And if there's something the world needs to see in the life of a Christian and how we respond, it certainly has to do with this subject of worry. And so Jesus is still preaching this message. He gets to this subject of worry. He says, therefore, I say to you, verse 25, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? A better translation of that may be an hour to your life. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed or adorned like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we sing? Uh, what shall we drink? <laughs> or, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek, and this is the key verse, this is the key to grasping this text. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, we do thank you for this reminder. It's certainly easier said or easier read than done. Lord, we need your Spirit not only to help us to understand it this morning, we certainly need your Spirit to help us implement it in our lives. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I looked up some of the home remedies. Actually, this was a list of weird wart remedies. Home remedies to cure warts. Some have said, soak them in pineapple juice. Others say, try apple cider vinegar. I've had people tell me before, you can sell them to me for a penny. Anybody heard that one before? Um, here, I'm buying your warts from you, and they, they give you a penny for the ward. Maybe I'm the only one that's, that's heard that before. You can sell them for a penny. Burn them off with a hot match. <laughs> that doesn't sound like fun. Soak them in bleach. Well, WebMD, WebMD says don't do that. Let's just say that. Uh, don't soak them in bleach. <laughs> Somebody's going, oh, man. Rub them with a banana peel. I don't know if that works for anything. 
And here's the one that they actually said worked, but add it with an over-the-counter gel. Cover them with duct tape. And they said this one actually worked. Duct tape really will fix anything. And all the men said, Amen. Cover them with duct tape. Well, I'm not sure if worry actually causes warts. We refer to them as worry warts sometimes. But let me tell you a few things worry can do. It can increase stress in your life. Worry, along with stress, can lead to a variety of health problems. Not just ulcers, but all kinds of other diseases that comes along with these health problems, including heart disease. It can hurt your relationships. Do you know worry can do that? Worry, which leads to stress, can cause you to be difficult to be around because people are like, man, it robs my joy when I'm around a worry wart. So it can hurt your relationships. Worry can hurt your performance at work. And worry can hurt your performance at home. And that goes along with the relationships with friends and family and things like that. Worry can cause sleeplessness. And sleeplessness can cause all kinds of other problems. Worry can cause arguments. Worry can cause avoidance. You don't want to be around people because you're worried about something that might come up. Worry can cause abuse, physical abuse or the abuse of drugs and alcohol. Worry can cause paranoia because you're worried about what everybody's thinking or everybody's saying. Worry can lead to all kinds of other problems, whether it causes warts or not remains to be seen. There's a tremendous amount of spiritual implications here, and that's what we're going to see in the text. And it's in observing these implications, the spiritual implications of worry in the text, that I believe we can deduce a remedy, a cure for worry warts. And so I want to encourage you, write these down, apply these to your life, and share these with a friend. Now, it's significant that this is in the Sermon on the Mount following what we looked at before the revival, a passage on prayer, because that's going to be a big part of the remedy. Worry can rob you. We're talking about noble living in a needy world. Worry can rob you of living with nobility, living like royalty in a world that is hungry for somebody who can handle things when oceans rise around us. Each spiritual implication, though, like I said in the text, is going to reveal a cure. The first one, the first implication is this. Worry results in futility. We'll see this in verses 25 through 27. Worry results in futility. So here's the remedy you need to have to go along with that. So I will determine not to waste my time. I will determine not to waste my time. If worry results in futility wasted time, then I want to determine not to waste my time. So he says, therefore I say to you, do not worry. Now the King James can be somewhat misleading here because it says, take no thought. And the, the language here does not mean, don't let this cross your mind, because we do have to think about things. Even problems we have to deal with from time to time. So, so take no thought is not the best translation. 
It's the word worry, do not worry, and it's the connotation of allowing the thought to bring anxiety or frustration. And there's a difference. There's a difference in thinking through something and having anxiety and frustration. So it says, don't let the, the thought process lead you to a place of anxiety and frustration. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you're going to wear. These are the basic necessities of life, food and clothing. He says, don't get caught up and worried about meeting those basic needs. So it's not the thought, it's how you handle the thought. Don't get to the place of anxiety and frustration. Like the difference in guilt feelings for sin, we we realize that sometimes those feelings come. The question is, what do we do with those feelings? Do we go around with our head down feeling guilty, or do we apply what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8-10, through constructive sorrow, where we say, okay, I am in a, a state of guilt, therefore I will repent, I will do something about my sin, I will trust in Christ, I will receive His forgiveness, rather than camping out in the guilt, I will move on. We're to handle worry the same way. Here, here's a problem, here's something that's coming in my life. I can think through it without having to deal with frustration and anxieties because I understand that I will be wasting time if I'm worried about these basic necessities of life. And he gives an illustration in verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, unless you've got a barn that you left the door open and they put a bird nest in there. He says, yet your heavenly feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, birds actually work out or work without worry. The, the birds will go through their routine. They're not lazy. They, they're not up there whistling uh, Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. <laughs> well, you may have a parrot or something that can do that. But, but, but as far as I know, they're, they're not up there just whistling away, Don't Worry, Be Happy. They're going through everything they have to do to be prepared and, and going through certain... But they, they know the birds are not in control of the weather. They understand, according to the Scriptures, that God's taking care of that. God's in control of all that. And God's taking care of the birds of the air. And he says, if God's taking care of the birds, how much more precious are you than the birds. If not a sparrow falls to the ground that God's not aware of, what makes us think that God's not aware of what we might be going through that would cause us to worry about our basic life necessities? So ask God to show you your responsibility in a given situation, and when you find out what you're supposed to be about, like the birds going through their responsibilities on a daily basis, say, Lord, you show me what to do today. And sufficient for today as its own worries. You show me what to do today. And by the end of this day, I will be able to rest my head knowing I did what God called me to do today. And that is enough. So we have to say, God, what's my responsibility? I'm worried about a relationship. And you've told me not to have this anxiety, this frustration. Give me my responsibility for this day, so that when it comes to this relationship, whether it's with your spouse, with your kids, with a parent, with a teacher, with a friend, 
God, show me my responsibility in this relationship. And today, let me do what you would have me do this day concerning this relationship so that when I lay my head on my pillow tonight, I can let that go. I did what I was called to do. What about your work? What God's called you to do at work, sufficient for the day. Do what God's called you to do, and at the end of the day, let it go. Protecting your family is something we worry about. Providing and protecting. Put it in God's hands today. And sufficient for today as its own cares. Walk with God. Be obedient to God. Learn from Him what your responsibility is to your family. Do that, and at the end of the day, put it in His hands. Some of you are worried about where to go to college. Some of you are worried you're in the wrong college. <laughs> wrong major. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? You're going to live it one day at a time taking Jesus by the hand and walking through it with Him and discovering what He has for you. Some of us worry about death. What does life after this life hold for me? Is there a life after this life? Where will I go? What if? What if? What if? And 99% of the time we go around worrying about things that might kill us that would never touch us. We're wasting time. It's futility. Today, because of the Ebola crisis, there are people that are saying, I'm not going to the airport when it's a hundred million times more dangerous probably to drive through Atlanta than it is to get on an airplane. <laughs> I, don't know if I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to get on the plane. What if it crashes? What if I get Ebola? We worry and worry and worry about things rather than just saying, God, what have you called me to do today? Help me to stop wasting time and do what you've called me to do. Be about what you've called me to be about. Here's a list of the biggest worries that people have. Number one thing that people worry about is their weight. I thought it was going to be money. Number two, aging and things related to aging. Number three, your financial future. And along with that comes loans and, and credit cards. All of these areas where we can lay around worrying, or you could say, God, what, do you, what would you have me do about it in this situation? Today, what can I do about this today? And not waste time worrying, but do what God's called me to do. Job security was next. And after that, I thought this was interesting, the next thing, after when you deal with the money and job security, the next thing that, that people worry the most about is keeping the house clean. <laughs> people actually spend a lot of time worried about keeping the house clean. When you have a week full of church services like Revival and your kids are involved in sports, sometimes you just have to let it go, don't you? Do what you can each day. Teach those teenagers how to iron their own clothes and not worry about it and move on. People worry about their looks. People worry about their marriage or finding the right one, whether or not they will ever get married. My wife knew she found Mr. Wright, and not soon after we got married, she knew that my middle name was always Wright. All of these areas that I just mentioned are made worse with worry and wasting time. All of these areas, when we're not proactive and say, okay, here's the situation, here's the problem, Lord, what would you have me do about it? Give me wisdom, because James 1 says, if anyone in the midst of trials lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all of us generously without finding fault. In other words, 
Here's the wonderful thing about God. He doesn't look and say, you got yourself into this mess, you get yourself out. God looks and he says, I'm glad you're asking me for wisdom. I'm going to give you some wisdom and I'm going to give you some instruction. Don't waste time. And at the end of the day, even if everything is not resolved, if you can say, this day I've done what God's called me to do about this situation, then he can remove worry from your life. So you're determined not to waste time because of the futility of worrying. Again, all of these areas. He goes on in verse 27. And I said here the the King James could actually be a little bit misleading where he says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? How many of your translations say one hour to his life instead? That's that's a better translation actually of the Greek here. It's it's not talking about um, people worried about being short and they go around worried about it and they're not going to get any taller by worried about it. Now some of you are in that boat. I understand that. You're like, "Eh, I'm worried I'm not going to get any taller. But this is talking about... Worry about getting it all accomplished, getting it all done, getting out of the situation that you're in. This is talking about adding an hour to your life, and worrying is only futile. It's only wasting time. While you're spending that time worrying, you should be spending that time doing what God has called you to do. We're going to be more specific with that in just a moment. But this leads to the next implication. Number two, worry reveals faithlessness. Worry reveals faithlessness. This is the one that's going to be a little bit more convicting. So here's the cure. I will determine to trust God. If worry reveals faithlessness, then the cure is I will determine to trust God. Look at verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. God was taking care of his creation. And if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So there's a problem here with faithlessness that's being revealed in your worrying. God's taking care of his creation. Again, just like with the birds, You are his most prized and precious creation. And if he's taking care of the lilies of the field, what makes us think that he's not going to take care of us and take care of our basic needs? So there are lots of professing Christians that are practicing atheists. We see it right here in verse 31 and 32, where he says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Or... If we think of some of our problems today, how will we save our family? Or how will we find money for tuition? Or how will we buy groceries or put gas in the car? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He says the Gentiles, some translations here says pagans, those who don't know God... Are, are struggling with all of these things. And so I'll say it again. There are a lot of professing Christians who are practicing atheists. A lot of professing Christians are practicing atheists. They say, oh, I believe in God. I believe that He exists. I believe that Jesus died for my sin upon the cross, made the greatest provision that could ever be made for my salvation. 
He rose again on the third day, but I'm not not so sure He's going to help me buy groceries next week. I'm not so sure that He can provide for my basic necessities. He can conquer sin, death, hell, and the grave on the cross. He can speak the world into existence. But I don't know if He can help me. Or it could be that you know that He has the power, but you don't know if He's willing. And I can assure you He is. He wants to intervene in your life. And so Paul gives great instruction. This is a favorite passage for a lot of people. If you hold your place there in the Sermon on the Mount and turn over to Philippians, or as we like to say sometimes, Philip to Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, found right in the middle of your New Testament. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Remember we talked about this word for worry had to do with, with, with taking thought to the point of anxiety and frustration. So it says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but what are we going to do? We're going to exercise faith here. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, let's stop right there for a moment. How many of you would honestly admit, and and I'll raise my hand because I'm guilty of this sometimes, how many times do we have to say on a particular day we have spent more time worrying about something than we spent praying about it? Anybody with me? That's our problem. We, We spend more time worrying about it than we do praying about it because what happens when we pray? And you've experienced this, and I've experienced this. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus when we begin to pray and we begin to seek His face in the midst of our anxious frustrations in life and all the trials, we begin to pray and almost immediately the peace of God like a river begins to flood our souls and we realize that God is real and everything's okay. What does the song say? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. What are you worried about? Have you prayed about it? Have you, have you taken a friend or family member or relationship? Maybe even, the, maybe even the, the spouse, the friend, the relationship that you're worried about. Have you taken them by the hand and said, let's pray this thing through because prayer changes everything. Changes everything. He goes on to talk about learning whatever state he's in. Paul says, look, I've, I've gone through some serious trials. And in the midst of all these trials, and, and, and I've, I've known what it's like to abound and, and, and to have blessing after blessing, but I also know what it's like to be impoverished and to have nothing. And he says, I've been determined by the grace of God, whatever state I'm in, I'm going to be content. And he comes back in verse 19. And he says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. When you're not wasting your time, when you're doing the work that God has called you to do, you've said, Lord, I don't want to waste time. You show me that worrying is futile. You show me what I'm to be about. And and I'm about your work. And and I spend time in prayer. Then all of a sudden, I, I have the peace of God. And I know that he is going to provide all of my needs, not everything I want, Now, when I'm delighting myself in the Lord, He's given me the desires of my heart. 
because He's making my desires the same as His desires for me. But He's going to meet all of my needs according to His riches and glory, and God owns it all. So there's no need for us to be just professing Christians and practicing atheists. If He can make cultivated vegetation, the lilies of the field, beautiful. It's October. If you get a chance, take one of these beautiful Saturdays and drive through the mountains. Don't do it next Sunday morning, but Pastor, you told me to drive through the mountains. Um, but take one of these beautiful Saturdays and drive through the mountains and look out across the landscape and, and see that God paints more beautiful portraits than anybody. And if He's taking care of uncultivated vegetation, the lilies of the field, then don't you think He could take care of you? All of these areas, God wants to intervene in your life. Here, here's some atheistic remarks I hear, though. Here's one. I'll never pass this class. Practicing Christians. I mean, professing Christians, practicing atheists. I'll never pass this class. I just don't think this relationship can be healed. That's an atheistic remark. We will never be able to get out of debt. I will never get married. <laughs> Rather than Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. The problem isn't that you're too insignificant. So you say, well, I know that God's a big God, but I'm just too small. The problem's not you're too insignificant. It's that your God is too small. The Bible tells us about a pregnant teenage girl who was concerned that this was way too much for her. Her name was Mary. And the angel explained, with God nothing's impossible. And she brought the Messiah into the world as a teenager. And then Joseph had to trust that the baby was truly God's. You think he had a few worries that he had to let go of? If God can intervene in their life, he can intervene in your life and in my life. That is why in the midst of your worries you must seek the Lord on a daily basis in worship and in the Word and in prayer. That's why corporate worship is so important. Listen, some of you have been carrying a load all week, every week, and you come into this place, and it's an important time. Worship is important. Prayer is important. The Word of God is important because at those moments you begin to lay aside those worries and God begins to move in your life and someone comes and they sing a song like we heard this morning and it ministers to your soul and you let go of a little bit more. And listen, that's important. The Bible tells us we need that. Corporate worship draws us back and draws us back and draws us back. But listen, you need that on an individual basis. You need to find time every day to spend time in prayer. Spend time at the feet of Jesus. Spend time in worship. Maybe you need to pull away during your your lunch break and say, yes, listen, I need five minutes and I don't care if it has to be in a closet or a bathroom stall. I'm going to open up a little New Testament I'm going to read or I'm going to turn on my phone and, and, and open my Bible app and I'm going to read some scripture. I'm going to read a psalm and I'm just going to give this situation, this relationship, this boss, this employee, I'm going to give it all to the Lord and I'm going to quit worrying about it. So we need to pray. And at night, sometimes it means we just need to pray ourselves to sleep. Not like I did as a kid. You know the prayer we were all taught as kids. 
I don't think this really helped the situation any. I'll be honest with you. Now I lay me down to sleep. That's sweet. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. If I shall die, die. And I remember laying there as a kid, if I shall die before I wake. And I started worrying. You mean kids die before they wake up? There's a good chance if I go to sleep, I might die before I wake up in the morning. And so I'm laying there worried if I die before I wake. Don't let my brother my ball glove take. I mean, don't let the devil my soul take. Lord, you take my soul. I don't want to die before. So we, we pray fearful prayers. We need to give our lives to a big God who can handle it all, whose grace, listen, even in the midst of that, I know what some of you will leave here thinking today, and that's okay, I believe everything you said about God, but He doesn't know who I am, and, and I deserve everything I've experienced, and God's not going to bail me out this time. Listen, God is not only a big God, His grace is a big grace, and it can come in and minister in those deepest, darkest moments and heal the most broken places in your life. And finally, I want you to see this third implication and the step that comes with it for healing. And that's worry replaces first priorities. Worry replaces first priorities. So I will determine to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I will seek first the king and His kingdom. It says, seek first, verse 33, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, Or put another way, He'll take care of the rest. Make Jesus Christ in your relationship with Him number one, seeking first the King and His kingdom and His righteousness, so that at the end of the day you can say, you know what, my heart's right with God. And listen, the problems may come. There may be difficulties in relationship. The bills may come. Bad health may come. But if at the end of the day you can say, but you know what, I believe my heart's right with God. And if your heart's right with God, you'll find peace in the midst of the trials and you can lay your worries at the foot of the cross. Verse 33 is a life verse. Forgetting will almost always lead to worry. When 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 I forget those priorities, making Jesus number one in my life, if it's not applied, then likely our problems are revealed in verses 19 through 24 in this same chapter. See, see if, if, if kingdom priorities aren't top priorities, then those other necessities, those other things that we look at in this world become priorities. Do not lay up for yourselves, he says, on, uh, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in. And still, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. If your treasure is in the kingdom and in eternal things, then it's in things that nobody can ever take away, so you're not worried about those things. But it's when our worries are about things in this life. Maybe it's not material things. Maybe it's the wrong types of relationship, trying to please people rather than God. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. 
Sometimes that's translated money. Sometimes it's translated man. We're to live our life to the glory of God, to do all that we can to please God and not man. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23 and 27 remind us. We're to go all out for Him. And when we're going all out for Him, we're not worried about what everybody else thinks. So it's okay. It's okay to have possessions. Even when you're seeking first the kingdom, it's okay to be a steward of possessions for the glory of God, investing those things in the lives of others. But ultimately, we're laying up treasures in heaven. But here's what's not okay. It's not okay for possessions to have you. It's not okay for possessions to become obsessions. To where you're so worried about the future that you're holding on so tightly, you're not willing to invest in anybody or anything. You're not willing to invest emotionally in a relationship because you might get burned. Listen, you will get burned because people are imperfect. You're you're not willing to invest financially because you want to hold on tightly to everything because you might need it for a rainy day. We miss out on the blessings and peace of God. Or I've got to have the right clothing. I'm worried if I'm not dressed right or wearing the right jewelry. Or, or, or driving the right truck whether or not I can afford to put gas in it or not. Obsessed with your iPhone or iPad that takes you away from your other priorities. I've got to have it. I can't let go of it. You know, the, this millennial generation, we're told, will see their phone as a body part. Something they can't live without. Listen, I know we get a lot of things done. I get a lot of ministry done because of items like this. But sometimes it's a good thing to lay it aside, take it away from your kids, and say, let's go a day or two or a week without it. Because it becomes an obsession rather than a possession for the glory of God. What is that obsession in your life? Is it kingdom work or is it everything else? Is it that you're seeking first a boyfriend or a girlfriend and then everything will take care of itself? Or am I seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? It's better to seek first the kingdom or we'll compromise everything we believe in order to have what we think that we need. Whether you're talking about a material possession, a relationship, There are young people that compromise all of their convictions because they're seeking first having a boyfriend or girlfriend, security in that rather than security in Christ. Seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. You say, forget about everything else. And it doesn't say forget about everything else. It says He will take care of everything else. He'll take care of the rest. It'll be His way in His time. When I was 19 years old and I had played all the dating games, we called it Christian dating back then, but I played all the dating games and I said, that's it, that's enough. When God, when it's God's timing, He'll bring the right person in my life. God doesn't want me to worry about that. God doesn't want me to go around with insecurities. God called me to preach the gospel. I was a freshman at Emmanuel College. I went to a Bible conference up in Charlotte, North Carolina. God called me to preach, to go into full-time Christian ministry. I didn't know if it was going to be student ministry, missions, evangelism, or as a pastor of this church one day. I didn't know what God had for me. I just said, God, here I am. I want to be about your kingdom agenda, whatever that means. I gave my life to Him. I quit playing all those games, which eventually took me to seminary. I was still single, not dating anybody. 
I'm as far from Madison County as I could be, it felt like at that time, in Raleigh, North Carolina, living. Went to a Bible study. Tina was not at that Bible study, but she had a roommate at that Bible study. I had a conversation with her roommate. Her roommate went back and told Tina, I met your husband tonight. See, I didn't meet my wife. And by the way, her roommate was right. And most of you know the rest of the story. And I love to tell that story. And I love my wife. God has blessed me beyond anything I could ever ask for or imagine. Ephesians 3.20. Blessed us with two wonderful kids. Brought us as, brought me back to Georgia as a pastor and her as a missionary. So I did not, young people listen to me. I didn't go to North Carolina to find a wife. I went to North Carolina to be about God's kingdom agenda. God had a call on my life, and I wanted to seek first the king and his kingdom. But if I had been disobedient to God's call on my life, I would have missed out on meeting the wife that he had for me. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Don't worry about everything else. And in God's time and God's way, he will bring into your life treasures that you would have never been able to even dream of. And it will always be better than what you were worried about. Always better than what you would have been worried about. The Christian life is seeking first the King and His kingdom one day at a time. So let me ask you again this morning. What are you worried about? What are you worried about? Are you going to give it to Him today? Are you going to say, you know what? Worry is futility. I'm wasting my time. Lord, I'm going to start seeking You. and You show me what I'm to be about and I'm going to be about what You want me to be about. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to worship and I'm going to spend time in Your Word so that the peace of God can flow through me because I didn't expect these bills. I didn't expect this disease. I didn't expect this problem. I didn't expect this relationship to go sour. So all I can do is what I can do. I can pray and I can seek Your face. I can seek first the kingdom and trust that You'll take care of the rest. Easier said than done. But it can be done by the grace of God and by the power of God. Would you bow your heads with me?